We had a couple of thought questions. Um, what is the difference between God's nature and God's character? What would you say is the difference? What is the difference between God's nature and God's character? Okay. 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 So, so that's how it works with. That's how it works with me, right? My my nature and my character. With God, God has always been God. That's kind of one of the things we're going to talk about today. So, with what would then be the difference between God's nature and God's character, since they're both eternal? We talked about His infinity that. Uh, We'd kind of have to adapt the definition. They would both be the same. They would both be the same? Whereas for us, I think it would be, it could be different. Okay. I think that God, you know, it's what he wants to do versus what he has to do, you know, it's like a parent. Okay. Okay. So nature is your inherent qualities. Um, so uh, to, to think of the difference between nature and character, your nature is maybe the types of things I would describe if I was, uh, was going to have you pick me up at the airport. Right? My character would be what I would describe if I was a reference on somebody's resume. Right. Those are two different, they're both descriptions, but they're both, they're going to be different types of descriptions. Um, the characteristics of just general characteristics that don't tell you necessarily anything about me, the person, right? God has a nature. We've been talking about kind of some of his, his basic nature uh, up to this point. Uh, we've, we've talked about his, uh, his identity as three and uh, yet one. Those are th- those don't tell me about his character. They don't tell how he character is uh, has to do with how you define yourself uh, as a being. Not just knowing it, it, the difference between. Uh, and we're even going to get to this in in our sermon today. It's not intentional, but these are a lot of them are going together. Uh, the difference between knowing about something and knowing something. Or knowing some something about somebody and knowing somebody, right? Those are different. Those are different things. Um, so think about the phrase "God is." We're just going to look at the phrase "God is." Complete that sentence from statements in the Bible. God is what? Love. God is love. Powerful. God is powerful. Compassionate, supreme. supreme. You, you feel the difference now. Even talking about there, these are all kind of elements of his character, right? But we're going to even see a difference between different types of character, different elements of his character. The, and, and so we're, what we're going to do is, and, and we'll kind of come back to to this to a. I mean, if we if we spent time and we could make a long list and we could divide these into two types of categories, we would uh, we would find 
you know, love, compassion, mercy. We find a lot of things, but we find two different types of character. And the two types of character are how God is with others, how he relates to others, and how God is simply because he is. Um, In other words, some things require, some character traits require another person. Love, for example. Love requires another person. I have no love if I have nobody around me. If it's just me and the trees, there's no love necessary. There's nothing for love to accomplish. So so all of these things relate to us. Now, even his, uh, what we'll call intrinsic character, things that that relate to him just by himself are, are going to impact us, and we'll see that, but they don't depend upon the existence of us. We'll say it that way. Um, or they don't necessarily imply the existence of us. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to talk about his intrinsic character. We're going to talk about uh, like three things. And I've kind of categorized in that way. If you're going through, if you had bought the book... Um, He's kind of put organizes. <clears throat> excuse me. He organizes his a, a little bit differently than than I would. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter six, verse thirteen through eighteen. Someone want to read that Hebrews six thirteen through eighteen. You had read this in a in the old King James. You would come across a word. Probably you heard this word growing. If you grew up in the church and hearing this word, you wondered what it was. And fortunately, someone translated it into words we understand. But you ever hear the word immutable? Immutable is is kind of the old King James by two immutable things. What are the two immutable things here? Or unchangeable. Okay. He says, now he says, there are two immutable things that he mentions in this passage in which he cannot lie. So, so his inability to lie relates to two things in this passage. It's kind of confused. It, this, I, there are a lot of discussions about what these two things are. 
So, so we're in Hebrews chapter 6, sorry about that, um, verse 13 through 18. He says this, there's two immutable things in which God cannot lie, uh, or what he cannot change. Well, if, if it has to do with lying, it has to do with him speaking, right? There are two things in this passage in which reference him speaking. Okay, so there's a promise. Okay. Okay. No, no, a promise and an oath are slightly different. Right. So, uh, so God, uh, in uh, God, vows. He 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 merely does not promise, but he vows, and he cannot. He can't lie. He, he's. Immutable. In other words, it, it, this is, he cannot contradict his, his nature, right? That's his nature, but it extends, his nature impacts his character. And I think that's kind of what you guys were saying at the, at the beginning. They're almost, they're almost the same. They, they cross over. His character comes from his nature. Uh, but we see it kind of affecting, now it's not just simply a description of him, but it, it's impacting the way. We would say this, I, I think the difference between the nature of God and the, uh, the character, one answers the question what, and one answers the question how. What is God? And we talk about the Trinity and all those things, but how is God? How does he behave? How does he interact? All these things. That's his character. Uh, and, and so he is immutable uh, or unchangeable. Psalms chapter 102, verse 25 through 27. And, and I've added some verses here. If you had looked at it online, uh, I'd probably add. I'm not sure which ones, but... Uh, Psalms 102, 25 through 27. Does someone want to read that here? In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, for your years will never end. Okay, so, so this, again, ties his unchangeability to his existence. God, uh, God is, and this kind of goes to his eternity, and all these things kind of come from that element that we talked about last week. Uh, James 1, 17 and 18, and, and there are a couple of passages we're going to come through in James here, uh, chapter 1, but we're going to look at, the, uh, at James 1, 17 and 18. Okay, so this is there's no change. He doesn't shift like a like a shadow moves across the the floor. He doesn't have that shift. 
God is. And, and how does that impact me? How does that impact me? He's trustworthy. He doesn't, his standard yesterday isn't a different standard today. Even as parents, we kind of have issues with this. And it makes things unstable when kids don't know what to expect. Like, but you said this yesterday. Yeah, but that was yesterday. Well, God doesn't do that. Uh, even when he changes a law, he doesn't change his character. That He may change the way he accomplishes some things. But but the but his his expectation is the same. He doesn't like. Well, you can get away with that today. No. <laughs> well, that was okay yesterday, but today it's different. His expectation is always the same. And in fact, uh, uh, we're going to um, to look at um, some of this. Um, I'm going to skip over the one in Malachi. It's kind of a repetition. Um, Numbers twenty three nineteen because this poses a question, really, or it implies a question to many people. Numbers twenty three nineteen. He says, God is not a man that he can lie or a son of man that he can change his mind. Does he, not, does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And so this goes back again to that immutability of his promise or unchangeability of his promise. Yes. So the question then is, if God, his promise is guaranteed because he's given it to us based on himself, it says he cannot change his mind. Has God ever changed his mind? It sounds like this is wrong. There have been times when he's relented on punishment. Okay, relented on punishment. Think of some. He was going to destroy the Israelites in the wilderness. Okay. And Moses talked to him and told him it would be better if he didn't. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was going to destroy the Israelites in the wilderness. Okay. What else? Any others? Jonah and Nineveh. Okay, Jonah and Nineveh. He made a promise. I'm going to destroy Nineveh. See, a lot. Well, at least 
considering not destroying Sodom. Yeah, okay, so the bargain with Abraham? Oh, 50. Okay, uh, what about 20, 10? <laughs> going once, going twice. Hezekiah? All right, get your stuff in order, you're going to die. Oh, no, 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 I'll be good, I'll be good, I promise. Okay. Okay, you got 15 more years. Are these evidence that God is not immutable? That he's... Is this evidence that he's a shifting shadow, in other words? God says he doesn't change his mind. I think when um, people go to him, he listens. Okay. All right. Taking something bad away instead of adding something. Right. Else. These are a part of God's nature. These aren't a part of. These aren't a contradiction to His nature. That statement has nothing to do with God's merciful nature. That's another aspect of His nature. God is immutably merciful. <laughs> he would be changing His immutability to not. To not offer repentance, in other words. A lot of these two, he did... End up doing it. <laughs> end up doing it, but quite a bit later. Right, he, or... He punished the Israelites later with Babylon. Yep. Nineveh, he you know, kind of wiped them yeah. off the face of the earth. Again, later. But... Uh, I'm fairly sure Hezekiah died. Um, so, so there's that aspect also. But not just that God can change his times when he does things, but God can change the ways in which he does things. He says, I promise it and I fulfill it. Like, so he says, Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Okay. Really, there's only one nation that, I mean, maybe two, that can trace themselves back if you consider the entire <laughs> Muslim world kind of traces itself to Abraham, or at least the Arabic part of it. Okay, that's it's a couple, it's not really many nations. Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to change how I fulfill that. I'm not going to fulfill it genetically. I'm going to fulfill it spiritually. And so, so, so God is not required to fulfill things the way we expect him to, but he is still unchangeable. He does not go... Screwed up that promise. I, I completely forgot that one. Nah, it's not that important. This kind of also goes back to his omniscience that we talked about. But I know what you're going to do. Yeah. I'm going to tell you this, and I know you're going to react a certain way, and I know, right. I know everything that's going to happen. So, yeah. again, I don't think it relies on God shifting his thoughts or his opinions right. or whatever. He already knows what yeah. So, um, that gets into our next point, um, his, um, we get into his wisdom, Romans chapter 11, verse And this, again, comes from that omniscience. We see that his nature impacts his character. There's kind of like a... It's, the line is a little, maybe a little bit more blurry than, than with us. Uh, Romans chapter 
uh, 11 and verse 33, if someone wants to read that. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing them. What does it mean to be unsearchable? It says his wisdom is unsearchable. What does that mean? Okay. I can't comprehend it. Because Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Yeah. I think if you look for the reasons behind why God does things, no matter how much you search, you're never really going to know why he does certain things. You can, I mean, we all speculate, and that's about as far as we can get, but there's no way we can know oh, this is why God did this. Right. You're never going to know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, think, I think kind of the, the combination of all these ideas is, is accurate. We cannot discover. Now, now, one of my kind of key passages as we've gone through has been Romans 1. I've, I've referred to that. Is, he's evident from the things that even the Gentiles who don't have a law can look out and go, okay, there's a God who probably should do certain things. No, that's, but that actually, that's not a contradiction to what he's saying here. We can't discover God. God, all that we know about God is through some form of revelation that he has given to us. Whether it be his natural revelation, or whether it be his divine revelation, we can't go out and discover, we can't build a telescope, and find God. We, we, can't, we can't prove God through scientific method. Right? We can give evidence for God. We cannot, prove, we cannot discover God apart from his communication to us. He's unsearchable. He exists on a different plane than this thing functions. Right? So... Um, If you look at the theories that that people came up with before they had an inspired word, how did how did what was what were theories about God and how God's character was? What were what were practices that God that people developed before they understood God's revelation? What are some of those ideas? Human sacrifice. You know, it hasn't rained in a while. Maybe we should kill one of the kids. This is what the human mind left to itself comes up with. That's highly logical. Why do I say it's highly logical sarcastically? Because I have an inspired word that tells me it's not. Because if I lived back then, it would be highly logical. The Jews thought forever, you know, if you were a cripple or you something was wrong, you did something against God. Hmm. There's another one. Oh, we kind of still have that one today. Yeah. Churches still do that. Oh, yeah, you're rich, God loves you. That's... 
wait a minute. Do we have a word that kind of addresses that and people still get that wrong? And so he's unsearchable. He's, his wisdom is so far. And you look, by the way, at, at kind of where humanity is going as they abandoned or continue to abandon this, this knowledge of God. As, as we forget this, what's happening? We see a society kind of going back to paganism and, and doing horrific things really and saying well this is this is good and Isaiah's like mm, woe to those who call good evil and evil good and that comes when when we don't access that inspired uh, revelation that, that God has given to us it's like we don't have to try to depend on our own brains anymore he's kind of revealed this to us so he's unsearchable. Romans chapter 16, verse 27. I like this one. Kind of along the same idea, and it kind of, again, connects to his immutability. All these kind of intertwine. Romans 16, 27. To the only wise God, glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. To the only wise now, it says, to the only wise God, and, and I think the way our brain naturally functions, we want to say, oh, that's in contrast to other gods. God denies the existence of other gods, um, except when he's being sarcastic. He says, oh, if you want to be a god first, you've got to predict the future. He goes in, in Isaiah, he kind of, oh, you know. but he's being sarcastic there. This is not a sarcastic statement. He's saying, to the only wise, God. In other words, God is the only really wise one in existence. He's, he's probably, I think, more contrasting himself to, to us. You know, we are full of our own wisdom sometimes as humans. I've got this degree, I've got that, I've done this, and we kind of think we're smart. Whoa. We compare ourselves to other people who aren't smart. Uh, we've already done that this morning. Oh, look how smart we are compared to people in the past. Right? We, we, we tend to do that. And God says, no, I'm the only wise one. You're only wise if you are in me, if you exist in me. So I think that's... Um, God really, in reality, credits no one other with wisdom. The only wisdom that we have comes when we, again, access that wisdom which he has, given that it comes down from the Father of lights. Right? So, Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. We referenced Daniel... I think last week, talking about his omniscience, his ability to interpret dreams. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. He has all wisdom and power. He has all wisdom and power. 
Um, I like this passage because I think it explains the previous verse where, where God is only wise and why that is. We, we a lot of times compare God to ourselves as higher in wisdom. We even There's a verse that says his ways are higher than ours. And we kind of almost like put ourselves on a plane, I think, sometimes. Well, God, we're here and God's up here. And God says, no, I'm here and you're not on the board. <laughs> um, and and I th- what's that? Twenty one. He gives wisdom to the wise. Okay, that's that's the point here. Thanks for reading that. That this is the point. A lot of times, I think when we talk about God being wise, we think of wisdom as its own entity, as as though it's something that we access and God accesses but he just has the ability to do it more than us. Wisdom isn't something that exists apart from from God. It says that it is his. Wisdom belongs to God. It's under him. it's It's in his sphere, and he allows me to access it. He gives it here. I'm going to give you this amount because this is what your brain can handle. (laughs) But it is mine, and that's why he has all of it. That's why he's omniscient. It's all of his. You read even in the beginning of Proverbs that in the very first section, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's that's where it starts. Yep. Because you're being brought into God and into a relationship with God, and now you have access to that was what is wisdom? Okay, all right. It, it's it's not simply the information. It, it it involves information. Obviously, you can't have wisdom without inf- information. But it is your ability to plan. It's it's all of those things. Your ability to foresee and and plan ahead for when things don't go right or how to work in a situation. I've got to communicate this. I've got to get people on the same page. All of these things involve wisdom. It's not just, oh, I know this fact. A lot of people know lots of facts and really are dumb because they don't know how to use the information. Right? Um, the ability to use the information. So, so this is why we, we talk about, oh, here's, here's God. He's like, oh, you're going to try this. Okay, I, I, I already have my plan made up, and I've foreseen all of the possible, you know, every possible thing that can possibly happen. I've already seen that, determined it, and this is what's going to happen. And you can't stop this. So, uh, so this is God's wisdom. And he has access to everything because he understands everything. So we're going to talk about one more element here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. So 
someone wants to read that. <clears throat> So we're going to talk about God's holiness um, and some of the different applications. What does it mean to be holy? Okay, that's like I think that's sanctified, but it's it's. I think it comes. I think the root might be similar. I can't. What's that? Pure. Pure. Okay. So purity is one aspect of this. We're going to look at some scriptures. First uh, John three three. Why don't we start with purity then? So, so it's the same verse. It's just using a different word and explaining what holy means. Because kind of holy is like one of these vague words that, that is a religious word. We don't understand, you know, we're used to using it. But sometimes it's one of those words that we really don't know what it means. And it's got a lot of different aspects to it. Purity is one. In other words, moral virtue. My, my doing what I should. Um, and we're going to, let's connect this to, he's, he's totally pure. Uh, Psalms 5, 4. And this, again, goes back to that, that immutability, that, that incapability for him to do what is against his nature. Uh, Psalms 5, 4. So, 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 wickedness is not. I like what someone he he described. It. He said, it, "It's it's as though evil is chemically. If you could think of it this way, it's like God's. If if God was physical the way we think of physical, it'd be like his his chemical nature." And sin's chemical nature are opposite. He said, think of it, he's like, I, I hate to use this illustration, but we've all done this thing where, uh, where you, maybe you haven't all, but all boys have poured salt on a slug. Right? It's just something we've all done. Salt is chemically not compatible with a slug for whatever reason. And it, it, like that's like God. God says, you know, I'm sorry, but <laughs> sin is against my nature. You can't be with me. It, it's it's against my nature. I, I I for me to let you near me, as much as I love you, it would be me denying my nature. I'm immutable. I can't be around sin. It's not that I don't love you, but you have sin. You have this thing that's against me. Yeah. Okay. That, that maybe that's a nicer illustration. Uh, but th- that illustration was really uh, it was it it pictorial to me to to see that uh, that way. Uh, James chapter one, verse thirteen through fifteen. 
kind of gives the same concept. And, and this is actually setting up that, that other passage that we read at the just a few verses later. James 1, 13 through 15. Again, this is of the most illogical things that we blame. Blaming God for my inability, my sin, or whatever. That's the most illogical thing that people ever do. Well, we don't blame him, then we blame Satan. That's at least a little bit more logical. <laughs> right? But to blame God is, is why would you blame God for that? But, but we've been doing that since the garden. This woman you gave me. <laughs> God, you gave me. It's your fault because you gave me her. And he's not even blaming Eve. Um, so, it is, that is the pure aspect of holiness. But holiness has another... Um, Another aspect that we're going to look at. Psalms chapter 50 and verse 6. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Okay, so what is righteousness? There's another one of those words that we use a lot. What does that mean, righteousness? Okay, we see here kind of what it connects to, don't we? It connects to justice. We think of a lot of times righteousness is used as a synonym for for purity, right? The the purity aspect of holiness. They're both a part of holiness, of the inability to do wrong, but this is slightly different. Chapter uh, Deuteronomy chapter thirty two and, and verse four, and we're gonna. Close here. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. Okay, so, so you see all of these references. Now, this is in a reading of the law. And this is, a, this is uh, Moses reading the law right before he's going to die, really. And uh, he's summing up. And the, the point is, here is a law, and it's fair. A lot of times we, we look at the law, we say, this is unfair, or this was a miscarriage of justice, and we, we look at things like that. With men, those are things that happen. And, and sometimes we bring that, um, that perspective into a discussion of God. That wasn't fair, God. Or 
I don't think that was right, God. God is immutably correct. He can't not be correct. It's, it's not in his nature. What's the whole meaning behind the prayers of a righteous man avails much? Mm-hmm. It's not because the guy is perfect. Right. It's because he follows what God asks him to do. Okay. And if he does that, it's going to turn off. Right. For us, God kind of has, uh, he grades on the curve. Because <laughs> he can't, we can't accomplish his righteousness. That, that's, that's, that ship already sailed. A long time ago. Uh, once I've sinned, I, I can no longer be perfect. I have a history of not being perfect. God, has, God is going on an eternity of being perfect. He's got a, he's got a pretty good record. Uh, and he's, his holiness is impacting not just his, his virtue, but also his uprightness, his, his determinations. Morally speaking, when, when he asks us to be morally pure, these are, these are conclusions of a God who knows everything and foresees everything. Again, the, all these things are really interconnected. And he says, when I judge you, people say, well, when I, when I come before God, I'll tell him what. Yeah, go talk to Job and see how that one turned out when he said that. No. When you stand before God, you're going to like, okay, uh, guilty. I'm guilty. Um, I don't really have anything to say. Because you will immediately know that you're in the presence of someone who knows everything. And, and so his judgments cannot be wrong. Mine are wrong because how many times I've said something and made a rule or done this or made a determination or punished one of my kids or did something and then I find out the whole story after I've kind of flown off the handle or done this. He's like, then you find out, oh, wait a minute, this person was doing that thing because I don't see it all. Well, it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a a loop where God is never wrong, but God also made all the rules in the first place. Yeah. But again, his, his rules don't just come arbitrarily. They, they come from his nature. They come from the fact that he is holy. He didn't say, you know what I'm going to do? I want to make this up today. They are, they are communications of himself to us. This is wrong. This, this can't be near me. So I'm, I'm informing you that this can't be near me. This is why I say that... that this does not, it impacts us, but it doesn't depend on me. His holiness existed. What was intrinsically opposite to his character existed before he made one of those rules. Before he made me, the things that are violations of him existed because he existed. So what's opposite of God, it always existed. Oh. All right, any other thoughts? Okay, we're dismissed.